This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled, Listen. This is the first message in the series, Fight Night. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Conflict, it's everywhere in our lives, it's in our nation, it's in our politics, it's in our jobs, it's on our roads, it's in our schools, it's in our sports, it's among our friendships, it's in our families, it's in our church, it's in our marriages. And God was not shy, he didn't hide the truth of conflict that we experience. The Bible talks about it from beginning to end, addresses it many times. In fact, James, the younger brother of Jesus, wrote it this way in James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You quarrel and fight because there are selfish desires. When Marcia and I got married... We had selfish desires we did not fully understand. And hence the conflict and the collisions. And for our experience, uh, it was a pretty rough road in the first five to ten years of marriage, particularly the first five. And if we were to give a picture of marriage from our perspective in that first a decade, uh, this picture would look like the video you're about to see. It's, it's a slingshot thrill ride. And if you just watch the guy on the left, the one who gets locked in and says, I've changed my mind, I can't do this, that is our view of marriage. And what happens to him when he goes up and through the ride, we think that describes marriage. And by the way, our family laughs. Watching this, we think is highly entertaining. You watch, particularly the guy on the left, think about marriage, and I think you'll get the point. Check it out. I changed my mind. I can't do this. I swear to God. Mom. That describes marriage for us. As soon as we got married, we realized what we got locked into and and wanted to say, "Uh, I can't do this. I changed my mind. (laughs) 
And then, and then marriage, you get launched into it. And, and it just scrambles your brain. And you lose oxygen and the G-force knocks you out. You just, you go faint. And then at some point in the marriage, you wake up and you just, ah, I'm still on this thing. And you go faint again. And then a little bit later, you wake up and you think, am I still married? I mean, how am I still on this ride? Now, Marcia and I will celebrate 35 years of marriage this coming August. So we'll hit 35. And uh, not with sarcasm intended, we will say we've had 25 awesome years of marriage. First five, uh, horrible. The next five, difficult. (laughs) And people uh, ask us often, what changed? And the answer is, around the 10th year of our marriage, we broke the code for conflict resolution. We learned how to cut through conflict. We wrote fair fight rules, and we followed them with military discipline. And in order for us to rebuild what we had broke in our marriage, where we had become roommates instead of soulmates, required us to learn the skills, three habits of healthy relationships. Grab your bulletins on the back of the teaching notes. I'm going to give you all three. It's going to outline the series. But these three for us were pretty much how we could, <laughs> how we could get in the ring and fight without pulling any punches and still have our wedding ring on when we got done. <laughs> and by the way, these are some of the most manly skills I know of. i tell you this, man. It is substantially more difficult to develop emotional muscle than it is physical muscle. Substantially more difficult. And by the way, just kind of as a parenthetical side thought, men, I'm going to have a conversation about spiritual leadership on February the 25th. On February the what? And if you are a 12 stoner and you're a follower of Christ, you might want to be a part of that conversation. It's the halfway point of the men's prayer gathering, and I'm going to have a bit of a unique conversation on that day talking to the men of 12 stone. It's from 7 a.m. to 8.15 right here in this room, and if uh, you are drawn to that, then you're invited. But this isn't just difficult in terms of this skill set for men. The majority of women cannot do what we're going to talk about the next three weeks. And there are three habits of healthy relationships. They're in your notes. Let's look at them together. You fill in the blank. Number one, close enough to listen. Close enough to listen. We'll talk about that today, week one. Then clear enough to compromise. Clear enough to compromise. That'll be week two. And then committed enough to self-correct. Committed enough to self-correct. Now I want to make sure you got all the words. So I'll say the word, you repeat it back so we know what we're talking about. Listen. What's the first one? Compromise. What's the second one? Self-correct. What's the third one? If you can do all three of those, you will learn to cut through conflict. Hear me. If you can only do one of the three or two of the three, if you can do two of the three, but you can't do three of the three, instead of cutting through conflict, conflict will cut through your relationships. And this is true at work. This applies to work. This applies to friendship. 
This applies to teammates on the sports team. This applies to family members, parent to child, child to parent, siblings. And more importantly, this applies to marriage. So while I'm going to apply it and illustrate it with marriage, these principles work everywhere. And they're transformational. Today, we're going to talk about being close enough to listen. And when I say close enough, here's what I mean. The time, energy, and effort it takes to actually listen to somebody is so demanding, you can't listen to everybody. You really can't be patient enough to listen to everybody and understand everybody. It can't be done. So you got to figure out who's close enough. you got to figure out who, is the, who are the people or the few at work, who are the few of your friends, who, who are the few in your circle, who are the few in your small group, who are the few in, in your serving team, who, listen, who are family members, certainly, and of course, marriage. And there's something you need to know, and there are things you need to do. What do you need to know? I wrote it in your notes. Here's what you need to know. Listening is discovery, not decision. Listening is what? Discovery. Say it again, 11 o'clock. Listening is what? Discovery. Oh, my goodness, this is so overlooked. It is discovery, not decision. When you are listening, you're not making a decision. When you are listening, you're just discovering. That's the role of listening. Around the 10th year of our marriage, we finally confessed something about our relationship as a couple between Marsha and I, and that is that rather than listen, we jumped to decision. Listen, we hated the pain of conflict, so we just wanted to get over it. So we just wanted to get through it, get to the other side. Come on, let, come on, let's solve this. I can solve this. Let me just tell you what we, let's get, get to a decision, get to, get to a conclusion, get to a solution. So we would compromise before we communicated. This is artful, listen. We would compromise before we communicated, and when you do that, whatever decision, conclusion, or solution you put in play will overwhelmingly fail because it's not a good decision. It's not well-informed. So many of us have implemented solutions in our relationships that do not work because we ran to a conclusion before we listened. Let me just illustrate. If you go to the doctor, you set an appointment with the doctor, say, I need to see the doctor. You sit down with him or her, and the doctor says, okay, you asked for this meeting, yes? Like they would say, Kevin, you asked for the meeting. I say, yes, I did. If the next thing is the doctor, without a word from me, saying, now let me tell you, Kevin, what you need to do. And the doctor gives me all kinds of information of what to do, and then gives me a prescription and leaves. How valuable is that prescription? Not at all. It's worthless. Do you know Why? Because the prescription is no better than the diagnosis. All kinds of people are making prescriptions in relationships without having done any diagnosis. No listening. And they don't work. Oh, I know how to solve this. No, you don't. Because you haven't listened. See, what needed to happen is the doctor needed to listen to you. You need to listen to your body. You, you need to listen to what your body is doing. Gather the information, even do some tests. And when you've done good diagnosis, then you can do a good prescription. And when you deliver a good prescription, it'll actually help. God gives us insight into this. Take your Bibles and turn over to Proverbs chapter 18. In the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 18, and your worship center Bible right underneath your chair, it's page 646. Page 646 in your worship center Bible, 
If you're on a mobile device, we're, on Proverbs, we're in Proverbs chapter 18. I'm going to look at verse 2. Thousands of years ago, God was talking about the very thing we're addressing here, the art of listening. Look at verse 2. Fools. <laughs> if you want to know if you're a fool, listen to the following. <laughs> Fools. Don't look at your neighbor. We're just, we're reading this together. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Welcome to America, huh? <laughs> I mean, this is our country. Just a country of people who talk at each other. Nobody's listening. I just want to be heard. I don't need to listen. See, having a fight where you just vent your frustration is not constructive, it's destructive. If the way you navigate conflict in your relationships is just venting, you're both fools. That is for reality TV and people who intend to be divorced. It's entertainment. It's not a relationship. See, learning to listen is what fight night is all about. The art of listening. The, the goal is to hear the other. Look at verse 13. To answer before listening... That is folly and shame. The Lord taught us, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. Love is what, everybody? Patient. In other words, let me say it this way. There's no such thing as listening fast. <laughs> Write it down. There's no such thing as what? Listening fast. See, I can talk fast. In fact, oftentimes people say, would you just slow down on the weekends? Nope. You just talk too fast. Yep. I can talk fast, but nobody can listen fast. I can't listen fast. Nobody can. A friend of mine, Corey Baker, who's in our small group, he and his wife, uh, Bethany, wonderful people. In fact, Corey is a leadership coach in business. He coaches CEOs of billion-dollar companies and across multiple-sized companies. He does work for the John Maxwell Company contract work and, and, and just does a great job helping people build teams and know how to connect and know how to communicate and, 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 and know how to build the bottom line to profit and, and, and do customer uh, service and blah, blah. So he does all this stuff, but, but then he comes home, and he, he talked in our small group a while back uh, of a moment he had with his wife, Bethany, and, and it, it entertained me, and I asked him if he would just jump on his iPhone and and tell us that story, because nobody can listen fast, but I think you'll understand the experience. Check it out. So here's how the story goes. Um, I came home from work one day. It had been a tough day, a lot of fires being put out, a lot of things going on. And, and I got home, and in our house we have a lot of kids, so there were a lot of kids running around and a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. So a few minutes later, Bethany and I had a chance uh, just to stop and just download some things, catch up, update me on some stuff. And so she started telling me. And when she started telling me, it just seemed to me that it was taking a long time. So um, as she's in the middle of talking, I, I looked at her and I just went. And for some reason, she stopped talking. And, and I said to her, baby, just land the plane. She said, oh, oh, it's landing. And I said, oh, don't get emotional. I said, just, just land the plane. She said, it's landing. I'm done. And I said, note to self, um, don't ever tell my wife 
to land the plane. And then secondly, don't don't add fuel to the fire by saying, just don't get emotional. <laughs> Not one of my better days. <laughs> Not one of his good days. Let's be honest. How many of you with a raise of hands would confess you've done this to somebody else or you, you wanted to? If you hadn't done it, you wanted to. Come on, hands up all the way around the room across the campuses. Of course you have. Yeah, because you're saying, uh, would you hurry up? Would you get to point? Would you land the plane? Which is a way of saying, I'm really tired of listening to you, and for heaven's sakes, get to it. But there's no such thing as listening fast. Because when you listen fast, what you communicate is, you don't matter, I don't have time for you, and the person shuts down. By the way, good news for us. Corey's a great leadership coach and very humble and humorous kind of person, which is why he'd even tell the story. And he's going to be one of the lead coaches for this next new vision we're talking about of bringing the John Maxwell Leadership Center and leadership coaching, leadership to the coaches who pour into our kids across greater Gwinnett County. So this is going to be an exciting thing. He, others going to be invested in this thing. And by the way, if you're among those coaches, you go to 12stone.com sports, get in on one of those three meetings. And church, we're going to hear more and more about this in, in, in the months to come. August going to blow it out and some cool stuff coming. Cool stuff, but there are things you need to know. And that is that listening is discovery, not decision. Now, what do you need to do? I'm glad you asked. It's right there in your notes. We're going to spend the majority of our time right here. What do I need to do? Here it is. Change the way I listen. Change the way I listen. Everybody say it with me. Do what? The way I listen. One more time. Change the way I listen. In our 10th year of marriage, we wrote Fair Fight Rules, and the first purpose of the rules was to change the way we listen. Change the way we listen. Let me, let me walk you through this. See, <clears throat> when I was growing up, we had this kind of a lawnmower. This manual hand push reel, R-E-E-L, lawnmower, and it was worthless. <laughs> How many of you ever had to use one of these things? You know it doesn't cut. It's supposed to cut through grass. It just doesn't. Grass gets any length at all, and you got to go over it and over it again, and it just does. It, and you sweat, and you're, and it's tiring, and it's laborsome, and it's in, it's just ineffective. It doesn't cut through grass well at all. Now, this kind of represents how my parents cut through conflict. It's what I grew up with. Dad would build up pressure, hold it in. In the middle of a conflict, at some point, it would erupt like the volcano. Spew all over everybody. Everybody gets burned. Mom, she handled conflict by pushing it all inside and becoming resentful. That was a formula for failure. No wonder my parents divorced and our family blew up. And I hated what went with that life. But that's what I grew up with. That's how I learned to cut through conflict. In time, there's been new and improved technology. And we know how to cut through grass new and improved ways. Here's an eco-friendly lithium battery system that literally just, you grab it and, woo, this thing is, this will cut through grass. I mean, this thing is awesome. 
And we've learned some things about cutting through conflict that are new and improved. Like the fair fight rules. And then they will do for your marriage what this will do for your lawn. It's effective. Now, here's what I know what's at risk. Listen, here's what's at risk. I'm going to teach you this lithium battery new and improved way to cut through conflict. And you're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that, oh, that's new and improved. That's good. But when you're at home under pressure, what are you going to default to? Old ways. Well, that's how I grew up. And when you get upset, when you get under pressure, you default to cutting through conflict. But, but here's what happens over time. I listen to people. I've been doing this for enough years that people will talk like they're doing the new improved. So you start telling everybody this picture of your marriage. Man, I don't know what's wrong with her. I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm doing it all right. I am like lithium battery, cut through grass kind of person. But the reality is, at home under pressure, you're doing this. And you're talking like you're doing the lithium battery when in reality, you've defaulted to this old way and nothing changes. And it never will until you change the way you listen. So when I say we wrote fair fight rules, I mean we followed them with military discipline. So we've laid them out in your teaching notes. Each week, we're going to give a different segment. This weekend, I'm going to lay out the first segment of changing the way you listen. I'm going to do it very detailed, very practical, and unpack it so you know exactly what to do, why we wrote them, and how they get applied in your marriage. And because Marsha was a part of writing them, and we walk through them, and we live them as a married couple, I've asked her to, to read them for us, one at a time. Kind of like if you're sitting in a small group and you say to somebody, would you read the scripture? And then we'll talk about it. She's just going to read. I literally put her in front of a teleprompter and said, would you read those for us? Now, don't add color. Don't add comments. Don't do anything. Teaching's my job, honey. But if you would, just read them so that we, we all have them together. And I want you to know that, we, that this is a partnership that we walk through this. So you see them in your teaching notes. She's going to read the fuller version of it just a little bit. And the first thing you do is, Marcia, read it for us, please. Whoever wants to confront must call for a fair fight. No one can simply dive into an issue and interrupt what the other person is doing. So here's what that means. There is no fighting. There is no what, everybody? There is no fighting until somebody's called a fair fight, and even then, the fight does not begin. Love does not emotionally cold cock their partner. <laughs> you don't just walk up and... That is reserved for people who want to be single again. <laughs> that is the emotional immaturity of a child. So, our first rule is this. You have to call for a fair fight. And you don't start the fight. You just say, I would like to have a fair fight. You don't interrupt what the person is doing and assume you have an hour to talk or fight. You don't. You just call for a fair fight. And the reason it's going to be called for and put down the road is to pull out some of the emotional intensity. Set a time so you pull out some of the emotional intensity and you can prepare for a legitimate fair fight. Now, just so you know, when you pull out some of that intensity, the objective is so that you will not use cutting words and you can cut through conflict. And people who have to deal with a fight, the moment they feel the intensity are usually very cutting people. And it's entirely unhelpful and destructive. The goal is not for you to get it off your chest. The goal is for you and your spouse 
to win-win. There's no way that Marcia can lose and I can win. There's no way that I can lose and she can win. There is a reason we wrote Fair Fight for Rules. In fact, if you get online or go to our app, you'll be able to download the whole detail of the Fair Fight Rules. And in the first three paragraphs, it explains the intent behind this. So, I asked Marcia to read it. Honey, read it for us if you would. Fight night rules are established as an agreed contract to promote open and honest communication. We both agree to stay in the fight for every round, no matter how long it takes to complete. Breaking a fair fight rule agreement results in the payment of humbling oneself before the other with a sincere apology. You were right and I was wrong. You were right and I was wrong. You were right and I was wrong. I'm sorry. The other party agrees to forgive and go on. Recognizing the spirit of the effort is to repent, not abuse the rules to vent. So here's the point. Thank you, honey. That was well done. Here's the point. We are fighting for each other, not with each other. We're not against each other. This is our marriage. This is the covenant of I do. When you're building a friendship or anything else, it's the same thing. The intent is, to, is that you got to come together to win. But, it, but in marriage, we're trying. So, so you ready? You got to write this down. You ready? The rules are the referee. The rules are the what? Couldn't hear you. The rules are the what? The rules are the referee. Here's what it means. The rules have to be followed. We write the rules, and then everybody has to submit to the rules. You got to submit to it. Listen, listen, if you will not submit to the rules, you cannot build trust and maturity. You mutually agree to submit to the rules. So after someone says, I want to call for a fair fight, you see the next line in your teaching notes, number two, Marsha, read it for us. Before the time can be set, the one calling for a fair fight must summarize the nature of the issue at hand. No intentional blindsiding. All right, so if Marsha comes to me or if I go to Marsha, I say, I want to call a fair fight. Then the next question is, then what is the subject? One thing, one thing. Here, let me tell you what you don't do. If one comes to the other and says, I want to have a fair fight, say, okay, what's the conversation? What you don't do is this, bring a list. You don't go, oh, I wrote them down. Uh, here we go. You're an idiot. You blow the budget. You can't be anywhere on time. You throw yourself all over the house. You won't cook. You're sexually unavailable. You leave me with the kids. Your farts under the covers are nauseating. I mean, just, just time out. No, just, you don't, you can't, you can't just, you can't just dump the list. Well, I got a bunch of them. Let's fight. No, you pick one. You pick how many? One at a time so you can get an actual win. I'm choosing not to say several things. I'm not pausing for drama. I'm just choosing not to talk about the under the cover. So anyhow, one, one, one day Marcia came to me and, and I was sitting at the dining room table. I was doing some work and she said, I want a fair fight. I'm like, okay. All right, what, what's the topic? What's the subject? And she filled in the blank. Here's the subject. And I said, no. I said, I'm not doing it. She said, you have to. That's the referee. The rule says you have to. I said, I'm not doing it. Because I knew that we'd had that fight two or three months before. And then we'd already come to a conclusion and agreed to a compromise. And I was not self-correcting. So I'm not going to have a fair fight. What I did was literally got on my knees and said, no way I'm doing a fair fight. 
I'll just accept my punishment now. I was wrong, you were right, I'm wrong, you're right, I'm wrong, you're right, I'm sorry, baby. We don't need a fight, I will self-correct. You get it? You see the power? Listen, by that moment, I'm laughing, she's laughing, we didn't have to have a fair fight. I knew what the problem was, the problem was me. I owned it immediately, I said, we don't have to have a fair fight. But if we have to have a fair fight, if we have to have one, then the next thing to happen, Marsha, describe it for us. Set a time. No fighting after 11 p.m. It's that simple. It's that practical for us. Calendar a time. Set a time. Do what? You don't say, okay, I want to have a fair fight. All right, what's the subject? They describe it. The one thing, okay? Well, we'll do it sometime. Well, we'll do it next week. You get out your iPhones. You get out your calendar. You, you, you get out your smartphone. And you set, we set a very specific day, date, time. Next Tuesday, 8.30. Can we both make it? Okay, until we find a date, we can do it. All right, kids go down at 8 o'clock, whatever age our kids were, whatever your situation is. And uh, I need 30 minutes to recover, and I'll meet you at the couch at 8.30. A- a- and we calendar. A sp- and by the way, for us, we shut it down at 11 o'clock. No matter what time we start the fight, here's what we discovered. We could fight all night. <laughs> by 11 o'clock, we lost our filter, and we were saying cutting things instead of cutting through conflict. And it wasn't helpful. And you say, well, what if you're not done? We'd set another fight night time. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> no, because we wanted to be married. So we'd keep working this because we had to learn how to listen. Now that we've set a time and the time comes, what's next? Marcia? When the fair fight time is reached, both parties agree to give their undivided attention. No phones, TV, etc. All right, I'll own this part. Paying attention drives me nuts when it's something I don't care about. (laughs) Anyone? (laughs) I mean, if I call the fight, I'm in. (laughs) Let's talk. But if she called the fight, I'm like, are you kidding me? Why are we going to do this? I'd rather watch TV or go have fun. It's draining. No, I, I mean, at least you need your phone. No, yeah, I hear you. Oh, no, that's oh, good. The undivided attention? So, so most people want their marriage to be wonderful, but they discover it's a lot of work. But if you won't work it, it's never wonderful. You can't make penny deposits and dollar size withdrawals. So if you want a winning marriage, you're going to have to actually build one. So when the time comes, Marsha, tell us what's next. Round one, Marsha speaks first, no interruptions. Marsha must be careful to speak the truth in love as she understands it. Marsha speaks first on every issue regardless of who calls the fair fight due to the tendencies of Kevin to dominate and Marsha to withdraw. That is not, what you're doing right now is not at all helpful. (laughs) I sense the condemnation in that, just in your laughter. Well, when you've been married for 10 years, you finally figure each other out, and here's the truth. We discovered that I'm the extrovert, she's the introvert. I'm the more dominant, she's the more withdrawing. I'm more verbal, she's less verbal. I think while I talk, she thinks while she's quiet. I'm the unstoppable force, and she is the immovable object. 
I'm the strong personality and she is the stubborn personality times X multiplied and more. And here's what we figured out. If I start the conversation, when I'm done, I see no reason for her to talk. I mean, it was so articulate. It was so helpful. It was so right. That what's the point, honey? I clearly laid the whole thing out. What more do you need? And then occasionally I'd remind her, you know, a lot of people listen to me. And she'd remind me, one less than you think. So it went really well. That we... So the reality is I wouldn't shut up and she wouldn't speak up. And so for us, now you may have to do it different for your marriage. That's figure out what works for you. I wouldn't shut up. She wouldn't speak up. She had to go first every time we did that for years and years until we got past some, some times of maturity and now it, it, we can do it differently. But here's what I want you to hear. There are some of you who are not verbal people. And you can't off the cuff communicate what you're thinking. Marcia would often between calling for the fair fight and having the fair fight, write out what she was thinking and read it. Perfectly appropriate and helpful because I want to hear from her and I need to hear from her and she needs to be heard. So round one, Marcia speaks without interruption. Man, that's difficult when you're an extrovert who needs to talk. That's not my notes either. Let's move on. Okay, round two. Marcia, what's round two? Round two, Kevin must articulate what Marsha has said in his own words in a way that Marsha confirms she has been heard, heart and head engaged. Always loved round two. <laughs> head and heart engaged. Round one, she might read something like this. Didn't happen this way, but here's an example. Kevin, when we dated, you used to be kind. You used to open my door and treat me like a lady. Now you go to the car, you sit and wait with an air of disdain. No door opening. Just a sigh of finally here when I get in the car. I feel like I'm an inconvenience, like I don't matter, like I'm a child under your thumb. It's, it's very demeaning. That's the end of round one. Then round two is I have to respond and say it in a way that helps confirm I've heard her. So if round two I say, all right, so what you're telling me is this. You can't get ready on time and it's my fault I'm the bad guy. <laughs> What's new? And then she'd have to say, no, you did not hear me. Try again. Let me interrupt it. Right here is not where I correct my wife's perspective. This is where I reveal that I heard her perspective. I don't defend. This is not my moment to defend. This is my moment to practice Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So round two, 
I'd have to try again. So, Marsha, what I hear you saying is that there was a time when I treasured you. And I demonstrated it in the way I tended to you. And I don't do that anymore. Now I wait impatiently, treat you like you don't matter, or you don't feel special to me as the lady that I chose and that chose me. And I make you feel less and demeaned by the way I treat you. She'd say, yeah, you heard me. I'll stop right there. Because this is the next mistake most couples make. Just because I have heard her and can tell her what she said to me, heart and head, does not mean I've lost my chance to be heard. See, she's emotionally done because as soon as you've been heard, you're emotionally done. And she can't be. There's a round three and four. Just because I can tell her what she said and what she felt does not mean I agree. It means I understand. Round three and four is the reverse. So, Marsha, take us into round three. Round three. Kevin is then given the same freedom as Marsha in round one. Now it's my turn. And I say, all right, You know me. And you know that I like to be on time, and when we're not on time, it embarrasses me. And that builds up inside. And what I've noticed about you, Marcia, is you know, you won't let the kids be late for school, and you won't be late for work. But when it comes to the things that are important to me, you're okay being late, you can't seem to get ready. I get so angry and it so builds up in me that if I stayed around you in those moments, I would vomit things I would regret. So I just go to the car and wait. And by the time you get there, if I said a word, it would just cut. Because what it feels like to me is that you don't respect me. And I don't do real well when I'm not respected. It's wounding. Hmm. Another perspective, huh? Round four, Marsha, read it for us. Round four, Marsha articulates what Kevin said because we process the issues with a commitment to understand before we move towards solution. Now she has to be able to say back to me and when she can in a way that she's heard my head and my heart, I say, you understand. Now time out right here. By now... If you are listening to me, you recognize that something in that process will have shifted in me and something will have shifted in her. We're already at a different place. And if you move to solution before you've had the shift, you will never find the right solution. It's why solutions rarely work in the lives of relationships who won't do the communication. 
and you're thinking, if we actually did that in our marriage, we would have fight night every night. <laughs> We'd just be fighting all the time. No, you wouldn't. No, li listen. It feels like it at first. If it does. It feels like it at first. Stay with me. But as soon as you learn the art of listening and change the way you listen and begin to apply the round one, two, three, four until you're so good at it, it's natural to you. When you have the emotional muscle for this, your solutions, your compromise, which we're going to talk about next weekend, how you compromise, they actually become real solutions. And real solutions start to put success into your relationship and restore it. And then when you can apply this capacity to self-correct, which is week three, the strength of your marriage multiplies and you actually learn how to remove most conflict before it ever arrives. And what happens is you learn how to communicate and complete conflict faster, more effectively, and you shed your relationship with the majority of conflict, which is why the last 25 years of my marriage has been awesome. And you who are stuck in irreconcilable differences are there in great part because you don't know how to listen and you don't have the emotional muscle for it. You can get unstuck. In fact, you can unstick most every relationship if you'd be committed to this process. It's that practical. So let me give you four things to do this week. Now, these apply to marriage, I get that, but the principles apply everywhere. Four quick things on your way home today, literally. Men, take responsibility, wives take responsibility. Both of you agree. On the way home today, or when you get home, set a time. Do what? Set a time to talk about today's teaching. You do it immediately. Set. Now, you don't have to talk about it immediately today, but you gotta set a time. Say, okay, this week we're gonna talk about the teaching. And the first thing you do when you sit down is say, okay, it's going to be Thursday night. We'll go on a date night. We're going to sit down. And at 7 o'clock, we go to dinner. And the first thing we're going to do is decide if we're going to be a fair fight couple. First thing you do is decide, are we going to be a fair fight couple? Second thing you decide is, will we adopt these rules? Are we going to adopt these rules? And if you need to make a few tweaks because it was unique to our personality, that's fine. But don't change the principles. And you can get these in detail online. Get on the 12 Stone app and download it or, or, or go online and get them. Number three, practice with a level one conflict. Practice round one, two, three, and four. With a when I say level one, I mean don't go to a level 10 deep complexity. Deal with something that's really light, superficial, something you can navigate in order to just demonstrate how these get practiced. See how difficult it is to learn the skill. And then four, be back next week. Be back next week. Oh, we're busy next weekend. No, you're not. You're here. <laughs> Quit making penny deposits and wanting dollar returns. Learn the skills. If you don't know how to do this, and the majority of us don't, or you need to get better, just be here and learn. That's why I don't need this. I've been doing this for 25 years. But we need this for the breakthrough, and God will do healing beyond your imagination. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, we want to pray for you. But listen, you might want to help somebody else. There are people you know in your friendships, your relationships, coworkers, neighbors, and they are stuck. And all of us have the tendency to talk about the new and improved, but our under-pressure response is to go back to old ways. Don't do that. Use the app and send along an invite. Use the app and send along a slice of teaching. Get them online to listen to this week's teaching and then invite them to next weekend. So now we want to pray for you. Bow your heads with me.
For Father, these are the moments when the weight of your truth rocks our world at the soul because there is resistance to this. We realize that there is hope. There's hope at work and there's hope in a world. There's hope at school and there's hope with friends. There's hope in broken relationships with brothers and sisters and parents and children. And God, there's hope in a marriage that seems broken beyond belief. But there's no hope if we don't change. And that's what's arresting. Most of us are violating several of these principles. God, I pray for the courage today to change. I pray some men would rise up and say, we gotta do better. Some wives would rise up and say, we gotta do better. Couples would agree, we gotta do better. I pray thousands of couples would set times and navigate these conversations. I pray that in the weeks and the months ahead that we would train in the skills. I pray that emotional muscle and maturity would rise up, trust would deepen. I pray that there would be restoration and in the years ahead like you did for Marcia and for, for me, for our family and the impact on our kids is generational. This is so significant. Dear God, you took what for me was the most disappointing relationship where I thought there's no doubt but we're gonna divorce what had become roommates, you restored to soulmates. Would you do that miracle for all who would diligently seek you? We would pray for this blessing and that you would not only change our lives but generations to come and apply this in the most important relationships in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.